0: This is a Hot Pie Original. If you're on your journey, if you imagine a car, the fear of failure and the fear of judgment are going to be with you in your journey. The question is, is where do you put them in your car? There are a lot of people that put them in the front seat and give them the wheel. Mm. And the thieves guide their life and take over their life. There's other people that put them in the passenger seat. And then the successful people, the successful leaders in, in organizations, they throw them in the trunk. You know, they're still in the car, but they're just not, these don't have control, right? They find ways to rise above it.
1: Steve Jones is the head football coach at Kimberly High School in Wisconsin. Steve has compiled a 118-8 and eight record over 10 years, including a Wisconsin state record of 70 wins in a row. Steve's teams have also won five consecutive state championships, and he's twice been named the Associated Press Coach of the Year. In this episode, we discuss his winning formula The Three Ingredients to a Great Culture, How to Embattle Entitlement, and his new book, The Twin Thieves How Great Leaders Build Great Teams. I first heard Steve present at the Track Football Consortium in 2018, and I was left speechless. I literally couldn't write fast enough, and I've heard him speak multiple times since. And every time I listen to him, I walk away with new ideas to implement with myself and my organization. In addition to being a successful football coach, Steve is also a leadership coach and consultant. He's worked with numerous leading organizations like Verizon, Xerox, Kimberly Clark, and Stryker Medical. Finally, Steve recently published a book, The Twin Thieves. I'm just telling you right now, you will want to get a copy of this book. In this book, he teaches how to build a sustainable culture that wins through the story of a struggling high school football coach. It's a great book and resource that I'm sure you use for yourself, your family, and your organization. We're now going to introduce our new weekly segment, appropriately called the It's Freaking Awesome Story of the Week, brought to you by the Festive Kitchen. Every week, we will highlight stories of people who went above and beyond and thought of someone else before themselves. Now that is freaking awesome. This week, I got to credit today's guest coach, Steve Jones. One of Steve's players, Sam Klein, who is an upcoming senior, was recently diagnosed with B-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia or ALL. Sam was admitted to Children's Hospital last week and began treatment. He has since been discharged. He will be going to Milwaukee twice a week for treatments. Sam's treatment length will be about two to two and a half years. Sam was an all-conference center as a junior and was part of the Leadership Council. He's an unbelievable kid and leader. It's absolutely heartbreaking. But to show his support, Coach Jones donated 100% of launch day sale proceeds of his new book, The Twin Thieves, How Great Leaders Build Great Teams, to Sam Klein's treatment. Now that's freaking awesome.
0: Over the past year, I've had an amazing opportunity to write a book with my incredible friend, Lucas Jaden. We're both so excited to share that tomorrow, Tuesday, June 8th, on Amazon will be the official book launch of Twin Thieves. How Great Leaders Build Great Teams. We're also so excited to share that tomorrow's book launch is gonna be dedicated to a young man in our community named Sam Klein. Now, Sam's an amazing football player. He's an outstanding track athlete, but more importantly, he's a kind, caring and courageous young man. I've had the great privilege to work closely with Sam in our football program and on our leadership council. And Sam is the epitome of a servant leader. He lives out so many of the principles that are shared in our book. Unfortunately, Sam has been recently diagnosed with leukemia. So what Lucas and I would love to do is take all the proceeds that are earned tomorrow during the book launch and donate them directly to Sam and his family. So tomorrow, please look for the Twin Thieves on Amazon. We'd be so grateful if you'd join us on this journey.
1: Finally, if you're looking for more information and resources on how to improve your health, well-being, and performance, then sign up for my free high-performance newsletter, Adaptation. Just go to www.ericcorum.com and sign up now. This newsletter is my effort to bring zero-cost, high-performance resources and tools to anyone with a desire to improve. But now, it's time to lean in and learn from the best. Steve, it's great to have you on today. Thanks for making time for us.
0: Well, I'm excited to be here, Eric. Thanks
1: for having me. Absolutely. Um, Coach, you've had tremendous success in your career. And uh, I heard you back at Track Football Consortium. I think it was 2018 in Chicago, out, out in Napersville. And you started talking and I could not take notes fast enough. And I know I don't want to embarrass you because I know you're 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 a pretty humble guy, but um, you know I've been in a lot of great locker rooms, been a lot of championship teams, but what you talked about culture resonated with me, and so really I want to kind of start with when did you decide that creating a great culture was going to be critical to sustain success? Like, did you have a light bulb moment?
0: Uh first of all, I appreciate you saying all those nice things. Um yeah, so when I stepped in as a head coach, um I was following a, a a coach that was already really successful. Uh we we won some games, uh, but I knew that in order for us to continue to grow, um, some people call it sustain, you know, that type of winning culture, uh, you know, you need to be really intentional about what you're doing with your culture. Cause I'm a big believer that culture either happens by design or by default. And culture is either growing or it's dying. So it's getting better or it's getting worse. And if you're not ultra intentional about what you're doing with your culture to grow it, uh it's going to regress or die pretty quickly. So I knew that we needed to really make uh our culture more intentional uh and more centered around some of the the concepts that we'll talk about today.
1: Gotcha. You. So you're you're one of the uh one of the few that actually had the foresight to think about not X's and O's, because I know when I started out in coaching, different side, human performance, all I could think about was like the X's and O's of programming, right? And then as you go on in your career, you start thinking about, well, really, it's my connection to the, to the athlete, because none of that means anything unless unless there's a, a, a really good connection and, they, and they, ha- they have buy-in to themselves and to, and to what we're building. Um, so let's just get into it. In your book, you talk about the winning formula. The book you just finished, The Twin Thieves, which is spectacular. But you talk about the winning formula. Like, What is the winning formula?
0: Yeah. So again, it's about you know, being intentional about what we do and, and uh, not just expecting things to happen. So what we've done is put together what we call the winning formula. And, and to me, it always starts with people. So businesses don't get better. People do. Uh, Football teams don't get better. People do. I think everything starts with people.
1: Mm.
0: You need to make sure that as a leader that you're putting your people first. So uh, bricks don't build championships. People do. Uh, And so we need to make sure that we are connecting with our people, as you said before, being intentional about connecting with those people. Uh, there's different processes for that. One of them is called rounding, uh, where you are specifically scheduling moments or making sure that you are touching base with the people within your organization, but really putting the people first. And that's always been at the forefront of everything we do is, is our people. Hmm. And I'm just a big believer in developing people and specifically our leaders. Um, uh, because, you know, I, you know, there aren't bad teams, just bad leaders. I think Jocko Willis said that. Yeah. And, uh, We're a big believer in developing our people, developing our leaders, and just being a high school football coach, you know, we can't recruit. So it really is about development, uh, not only with the player, but more so as the person and as the leader uh, and and, and the people in the uniform. And then obviously our coaching staff as well. I'm blessed with an amazing coaching staff. As you know, it it certainly takes a village in any organization. So um, it's definitely not just me. I'm surrounded by great people. And then I think, you know, people then <clears throat> drive the culture. And I know that culture is a big, um, you know, kind of buzzword right now. Maybe over the last, you know, four or five, six years, it's it's really been an emphasis. But as you said before, we had the foresight, you know, 12, 13 years ago to really uh, start focusing ourselves on t- on our culture and really being intentional about that. Uh, and we can dive a little bit deeper into culture if you want. But then the, the heck first, yeah, formula. <laughs> Is, is about preparation. So making no mistake that you got to roll up your sleeves and you got to do the work. Um, so there's a John Wooden quote that we use all the time. When opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. So we got to make sure that we are working extremely hard in the dark uh, and doing the things that we need to do so that when the fourth thing comes around, uh, and that's execution, we're able to deliver. So in any team, in any organization, any business, everybody's got jobs to do. And uh, the New England Patriots, You know they are known for having one big sign in their facility and it reads "Do your job," and when everybody can do their job within a team or organization and do their part and execute, then I think you can have a winning formula. So if I think if you link those four things together, you are people focused. You are able to develop great people Uh, in the business world, hire great people, Mm -hmm. and like recruit great people. But surround yourself with great people, and those people then drive the culture. And within your culture, you work really hard. And then you're able to execute. To me, I think you know you got a pretty good formula there.
1: I love it. I actually think of when when I was in the NFL, we went to New England a number of times, and the people actually the the stadium actually have on the side. It's like do your job. Do like the the people and the you know the fans are chanting. It's it's it's, it's rather overwhelming. So it's people plus culture plus preparation plus execution. It's so simple. In when you look at those four words, they're simple. But there are so many layers that like hiring the right people. Um, when you look for a coach to join your staff, are there certain qualities that you're looking for? Like, how do you tease out? How do you separate the X's and O's from, is this guy or, or a person going to be a fit for our, for our culture?
0: I think the word you just use is fit is, is really important. So I think in order to do that, you kind of have to zoom out and say, okay, well, what is what is the philosophy of your organization? What's your vision? And then is that person going to fit that? Because I would take uh, mindset over skill set any day of the week. Um, and if they're coming in with, with a great mindset and a mindset that aligns with our vision and our purpose, um, I think they can learn the skills. Um, but when you're hiring people, I think based on skill set and that mindset and their philosophies don't match, uh, you, I think you're up in an up, uphill battle. So I think in, in order to find the fit, I think it's really important as a leader to really zoom out and say, okay, here are kind of our principles, here are non-negotiables, here's our vision, here's our purpose. And then how can we find people that are gonna align uh with what we do? And then and then we can we can teach them the skills uh once they're in.
1: Mm, that makes a ton of sense. Let's double click on culture. Uh, I know that you talk about there's three ingredients for culture, but can you talk about building a culture?
0: Yeah. As you said, with the winning formula, it it sounds simple, but there's a lot of layers and culture is one of them. And there are so many people that are using that word and and rightfully so. And usually when things are cliche, they're usually true. So when when people say, you know, culture defeats strategy, culture is so important. it, It really is. And, um, and, and, Culture is very broad. So what we try to do is we talk about three common ingredients. So uh, culture in our program, culture in a business, a culture in uh, a village in South Africa, it really doesn't matter. There's three common ingredients in, in all of them. And one is, the first one is common values. So in order for a culture to spread and grow, uh, everyone has to know the values. Um, everyone has to align with the values. Uh, everybody has to behave within those values. And then ultimately, I think cultures that are really strong hold each other accountable to living those values every single day. So a lot of organizations today uh, have values. Um, They're up on a wall, they're on a wristband, they're on a t-shirt, but the million dollar question, are people really living those out every day? So just one, one quick example. I went and um, spoke at at a business and that business was, was struggling. They had to lay off a lot of their employees and they kind of brought me in to kind of rally the troops. So I got there early and got set up and, I asked to use the bathroom and they kind of took me back and there were all these empty cubicles. It was kind of like a ghost town, Eric, and uh, up on the walls uh, kind of towards the ceiling were all their values, you know, painted on the wall. And that was kind of cool. So use the bathroom. I come back. And as I'm waiting for people to arrive, I see this big poster in the front of the room with all their values. So as we go into presentation, uh, there's a room, probably about 150 people in there. Um, I stand in front of that, that values poster, uh, so they can't see it. And I said, how many people in this room could tell me what your values are? And I didn't get one hand up. And, uh, I kind of looked over to the president and I said, there's one of your issues. And, uh, you know, you could kind of see him squirm a little bit, but that was the truth. And again, having common values and having people know what they are and believe in them and live them out every single day is a huge component of culture. So that's the first one. The second one is common language. And what makes a culture unique is the language you speak. And I know it sounds really simple. Let's just go back to what you talked about earlier, Eric, with the New England Patriots, probably one of the best cultures uh, in the NFL over the last 10, 15 years. How simple is do your job, right? It's language. But not only do the players live it and the coaches live it, but you're telling me, you know, it's all over their stadium and, you know, the (laughs) fans are living it. It is the language, right? And when people can speak fluent, whatever it is, fluent Patriot, fluent Kimberly football, fluent blueprint podcast. If if whoever you're working with is all speaking the same language, that's when you get an opportunity for your culture to really function at its highest level. Where there's a disconnect is when people aren't speaking the same language.
1: So how do you right? how do you get people to speak that language without cramming it down their throat, especially if you're coming into a new culture, or even if you're just building it new, usually it's not like you can't clone yourself. So how do you get people to speak that language?
0: I think the first thing is we can't make assumptions because I think, you know, we've probably all been a part of a new program, Eric, or walking in somewhere new and the veterans all just think that their acronyms and their slang are just, you know, everybody knows them. Right. So I think making sure that the leaders in your organization understand that we can't make assumptions when new people enter our culture. And we need to be intentional about making sure that everybody can speak and understand the same language and then making it okay for people to ask questions. Because a lot of times when we sit in meetings and we're new to an organization and people are speaking in slang or acronyms and we're the new person and the culture is not strong and we're worried about the fear of of judgment, right? We don't raise our hand and say, what does that word mean again? right? We just nod our head and expect, yeah, everything's fine. And then we don't, we're not connected to the group and we can't contribute to the conversation because we don't know the language. And again, I think the first step is not making assumptions. And, you know, there are some cultures and I know in college football that they have the list of their vocabulary and they expect everybody to study that list. So I think there's different ways to go about it, but I think making sure that the leaders in the organizations never make assumptions about you know, language, and understanding that it takes time to develop that language and speak that fluent language. Hmm. Love- the third one are common qualities and customs. so we have common values, common language, and then common qualities and customs, and ultimately that is kind of our common behaviors and within a culture, you know we need to make sure that we're in aligned with our behaviors and making sure that we celebrate some of our traditions, right So there's culture everywhere. There's culture in our own families, right? So if you celebrate Christmas, like do you you open up Christmas presents on Christmas Eve, Christmas morning? We have all of these traditions within our family that our kids love. And as leaders, we, if we're trying to create a a family environment or a close-knit environment in our organization, we have to understand that those traditions are important to people and we need to celebrate those. And I think that's also what makes it fun. And you talk about people wanting to be about a part of your culture is to make sure that we develop those traditions and we continue to celebrate those traditions and making sure that our behaviors are aligned. What's one of the,
1: what's one of the traditions or customs, sorry, what's one of the traditions or customs in Kimberly football that, that you guys rally around or celebrate?
0: Yeah. Well, one thing we do, I think is, is kind of neat is, um, we we have something called the Frost follower program. So, um, one of our traditions in our program is our leadership council uh, uh, would be our, our leadership team of our kids that uh, really, truly want to learn about leadership and, and lead. Uh, we teach them. And so we meet and one of the processes is they get to come up with our shared values. So high school football, we you talk about high turnover rate. We lose about 35 kids every year to graduation, 35 seniors. And we have a new group coming in. So you talk about turnover rate, you talk about having to turn over the page. So we don't have core values that I force down their throats. Instead, I ask our leaders to come up with the values for that team, this new group, because every group is new. And they get to come up with the values. They define them. They present them to the team. So then as the season goes on, freshmen that are living out our values get to come up and be a part of our varsity for one night on a Friday night. So they get to go through our pregame meal and our pregame meetings and be a part of our pregame. And they get to go to our postgame meal. And then their job is to go back and teach the freshman team about what our culture is like on the varsity team. So the idea of that is that culture will cycle. And then we are shining a light on individuals that are living out our values within our program. Because I think too often we're trying to catch criminals instead of catch champions. (laughs)
1: oh my goodness you are so right i just remember my time in college sport like you're always like you're dealing with those guys that are screwing up and you said catching criminals like guys messing up instead of championing the great things they do and i've actually never heard of a team that their values change year to year and i think that's a beautiful concept especially in a program like yours where um there is a 35 percent turnover um, I could see for a company that would be problematic. Uh, like we have for aim seven, we have four core values that we live out, but, um, that is really unique. And I think that's the, an, another great thing about you and and what I really value about the way you approach things is there is no standard set of rules that every organization has to live by. You're adjusting them based off of your situation and, uh, your team. Um, no, that, that's fantastic. I was actually just thinking to myself when you talk about celebration. My company is very young, but one of the things we started doing is, is when we teach people how to wire habits, one of the key things about wiring a new habit is you have to create an emotional response. You literally have to celebrate when you take action. So we close out every Friday, all hands meeting with celebration. And at first it was like, all right, we want you to celebrate things that your teammates have done. And it was kind of like radio silence. But then like, like one person celebrated somebody else. And then the next person and all these big smiles Carter coming on. And now it's like every Friday we end with celebration and it's like a book end of the week. And even though all, you know, you may have gone through something really difficult. That's something that our culture is learning to celebrate. Anyways, I just wanted to share that with you. Cause that's just something that's organically happened. And I never even thought about how, how that can have a downstream impact.
0: But I think as a leader, celebration and recognition is one of our abundant resources hmm. I mean about just what you talked about it didn't cost any money <laughs> and maybe you got to invest a little bit of time in it but the re- the, the reward you get back from that the return on investment uh, is unbelievable but again we have to be intentional about how we recognize and celebrate and to make it meaningful and not just lip service and uh, all of those other things but I think what you're talking about uh, really makes a strong culture and we try to make sure that celebration and recognition, is a is a routine or a cadence in our program every week we're recognizing and celebrating people that are living out our values and again the idea is shining a light on the positive behavior instead of always addressing the negative behavior
1: do you do that with your coaching staff as well
0: yeah we try. i try man um you know obviously we're very kid-centered uh but i try to do my best to uh to celebrate and recognize our coaches because uh, it can be a grind at times, um, but, you know, I, I think they know how much I care about them. I talk about them where, wherever I can, um, because, uh, as as I said before, you know, I, I'm just a small portion of, of our culture. And really, it's about the people around me.
1: All right, everybody, we're going to take a quick second to thank one of our awesome sponsors. Let's talk about the snack that's freaking addicting. It's freaking awesome. Well, it is freaking awesome, but that's actually the name of the snack. It's freaking awesome. It's freaking awesome is a nosh snack bag, a sweet, salty, crunchy snack with a kick. This snack has corrupted the palates of NCAA athletes to 87 year old grandmothers. So if you have a road trip coming up or there's someone you want to tell they're freaking awesome, then order now online at itsfreakingawesome.com. It tastes as cool as it sounds. Brace yourselves, you'll be ordering frequently for your monthly freaking fix. The good news is now, they have a freaking monthly subscription. It's Freaking Awesome is dedicated to snacking it forward. Each pouch features one of our fallen heroes, and 30 cents from every unit sold is donated to Carry the Load, a charity founded by Clint Bruce, benefiting those who have given the ultimate sacrifice in our military, firefighters, police, and rescue personnel available online at it's freaking awesome.com. That's I T S F R E A K I N awesome.com. You just said something kid centered and, um, let's talk a little bit about servant leadership. And in your book, there's a beautiful diagram of a pyramid and it's whatever I would say 90% of organizations uh or football teams that I went through are set up where the freshmen serve, you know, they're they're like the the bottom of the layer and they're having to do all the grunt work for the juniors and seniors. You know, I remember when I was a freshman, like I got pulled into the varsity locker room and had a trash can thrown over my head and got, you know, beat up. I mean, that was just like what it was, right? And then like the players serve the coaches, right? in your book and in your organization, that whole thing's flipped on its head. And I want you to talk about like servant leadership in action and what that actually looks like.
0: Yeah. So we we really do flip the paradigm, so to speak. So we teach our leaders uh, in our leadership council, our seniors um, that, you know, the highest form of leadership is servant leadership. So one way uh, we 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 introduce that concept and what servant leadership is. Is I'll ask them the question of who's the best leader in your life and why. And uh, most times, uh, I would say eighty to ninety percent of the time, kids will talk about a parent, or both of their parents, or they'll talk about a teacher or a coach or grandparents or something. Uh, but the common thread amongst all great leaders is that they are servants. So if you look at Mother Teresa, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, you look at parents, you look at our military who have so much respect for the common thread amongst all of them is that they're servants. Now they're not subservient. That's different language. And again, language is really important. Subservient means you're a doormat. You kind of get walked all over. You do everything for everybody, but servant leadership to me is helping people become the best version of themselves without expecting anything in return. Giving people what they need, not always what they want. So if a student or an athlete or an adult, because I've asked that question to thousands of adults, and usually it's the same type of response, about 80 to 90% talk about a parent, I will follow up with the question of, did you always like that person? Like every moment of every day? And obviously the answer is no. And, and the follow-up questions come back to, well, they held me accountable. They pushed me outside my comfort zone, all of those things that great leaders do, but they did it from a place in their heart and intent to make them better because they cared about them. And to me, that's what servant leadership is. So a lot of our leaders in our program want to be the best versions of themselves. And I tell them, well, in order to leave the best legacy and to be the best leader in our program, we need to be servant leaders. So we teach them to serve the underclassmen, the freshmen, the sophomores. So our seniors and our juniors are the ones that are picking up the field, are modeling the behavior, picking up the locker room, Our seniors and our juniors are going up to the younger class and putting their arm around them and saying, you know what, I've been there before, man. You'll get through it. Our upperclassmen are giving rides home to the younger classmen. You know, they're doing all this stuff because they're trying to obviously model the behavior. They're trying to show that they care. Because as you know, people won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Um, So they're doing all that stuff. And, And the cool part, Eric, is when we talk about culture, is when you can get your top leaders to be servant leaders. It cycles. So when the younger kids get treated that way, when they enter our program, that's just the behavior, that's the norm. So when they get older, that's how they treat the younger kids because it can cycle the other way really quick.
1: Yeah. Reading the book, there's like a cool moment where the, the players are talking about it with uh, Cooper. So, you know, I can't wait for people to read this book. It's really good. I've already told like 15 people about this. Mike. you're going to have to read this book. This is fantastic because it takes it and it makes it very simple and easy to understand. And you can apply this to your life. But they're like, you know, you can talk about this concept. And, and, and for a minute there, there's a selfish reaction where they need to go through what I went through. And um, in order to break that cycle, you got to show people what the negative consequences. Did you have to do any of that when you first started implementing this or was that already in place, Kimberly?
0: No, there was some kickback. You know, anytime there's change, right, there's going to be some resistance. And, um, you know, this, even though this this book is a fable, uh, there's a lot of, you know, truth behind the stories within it. So there is some, some kickback. But I think anytime you can have change as a leader within your culture or organization, the key is to find the most influential people in that group. They might not always be the best leaders, but the most influential. And then you need to make sure you're getting buy-in from those people. And it doesn't have to be a huge group. Um, but I was able to to be able to get some buy-in, and with the help of our coaching staff, obviously buying into that as well, and and having that consistent messaging, which is important in our program. Uh, but there was some some kickback because as as the story goes, and you just explained, uh, people are waiting for their turn. Uh, and when that turn isn't there, um, there is going to be some resistance, but in the long term, it's amazing the positive feedback they get as they graduate from those younger kids about how they were treated. And I think that's what you talk about a reward response that that reward to the to how they were treated is, uh, I think a, a beautiful thing to walk away from as opposed to just being able to put a garbage can over some freshman's head in the locker room.
1: What would this look like in a corporate setting?
0: I think it's very, very similar. Um, You know, and the organizations that I've had the great opportunity to work with that businesses that are top in the nation, uh, they've, a lot of them have adapted this model, understanding that, you know, the CEO is ultimately serving the people under the them. It's not reverse. Um, So I think it's very transferable. And, I think as a leader, I think I would challenge the listeners to really think about is how can I serve the people around me and, and how can I make the people around me better? Because ultimately, they're, you know when I make the people around me better, not only am I becoming the best version of myself, but I'm making our team better and I'm making our organization better. And that's the ultimate goal.
1: Yeah. Have you, my brain's just going to a couple other areas where we, where we lead, have you applied these principles to your family?
0: Oh, absolutely, and, and you know, Eric, you you have kids; you're their servant. <laughs> I mean, not subservient, but you're their servant. I mean, you work hard, you 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 get up early, you take care of them, you you know, you're doing all of those things. And I think it's it's a big part of being a parent. I think leadership and parenting are so similar, and I think servant leadership and parenting are are, are a lot of what we need in in our society because. It, again, it's not soft. I'm sure you're not soft on your kids. I'm sure you hold them accountable. I'm sure you have tough conversations with them. I'm sure you push them. But it's all in a, from a place in your heart, Eric, because you love them and you care about them. No question. Uh, it, 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 it to me is family.
1: I mean, it starts off, if you think about it, your child comes into the world incredibly helpless and you're wiping their hiney. You're feeding them. You know, My wife is tremendous just like yours is i'm sure and they and there's things that mothers can do that 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 we can never do right yeah. um and but i'm thinking with my children now i have a 9 year old a 5 year old and a 1 year old boy um you know i'm just thinking in my head about how i can teach the 9 year old to serve the 5 year old mm-hmm. and then how that can how that can trickle down this is this is stuff that this is stuff that leaves generational impact um Let's talk about The Twin Thieves. You know, the title of the book is The Twin Thieves. And and uh, I want you to talk about, you know, what these Twin Thieves are.
0: Yeah, so the title is The Twin Thieves. The subtitle is How Great Leaders Build Great Teams. And that's ultimately what the book is about, right? And usually when I talk with a coach after a season or if I'm talking to a president of a corporation that just got done with, with their year, yearly review, uh, a lot of it comes down to the leadership, you know? So if I just take the coaching world, uh I get done with a season. I'm talking with other coaches. Usually it comes down to, you know, our leaders just weren't great this year. Our seniors, you know, didn't do a great job leading or uh we didn't perform our best when our best was needed. And I think the same thing goes for business. And like I said before, I don't, you know, there are no bad teams, just bad leaders, but it just doesn't happen by default. And I think what this book does is really provides a blueprint on how to empower your leaders within your organization to grow your organization. So like I said before, businesses don't get better, people do. And it's about your leaders and how do you intentionally develop those leaders that end up growing your culture. And when we talk about you know 1% better and trust the process and all these other things that people are talking about, What we've done is done some research and said, okay, well, what's inhibiting that? What's inhibiting that continual growth? Um, and what we've come up with is, is the twin thieves, which is the fear of failure and the fear of judgment. So we call them twins because oftentimes they look the same. They get mixed up. So I'll give you an example. If I say to someone, what's, you know, what's your biggest fear? They'll say, well, I'm scared of failure. And then as with the conversation goes and I ask more questions, it's really not the failure itself. It's the judgment that comes after it. So they're twins because they kind of get mixed up and they're thieves because they can rob us. Mm-hmm. Potentially those two things, the fear of failure and the fear of judgment can rob us of so many opportunities, so much growth, our potential. I could go on and on and on. So what we've done in the book is basically laid a, laid a blueprint out of how to combat the fear of failure and the fear of judgment, because cultures that are built on fear, I'll throw it back to you, Eric. What does a culture built on fear kind of look like in your opinion, if you've ever been a part of a culture, or even if you are just going to make some assumptions, but what, what does a culture based on fear or built on fear look like?
1: Uh, to protect the innocent, I won't name the organization, but there was a, there was an organization I was part of where people didn't want to. They didn't talk to each other. Um, there wasn't the ability to communicate freely and openly. The leader of the team um, wasn't vulnerable, um, and was condescending, and uh, it, it nobody was willing to take a risk and uh because nobody was willing to take a risk like you're never going to get the most out of people nobody's going to stretch themselves and fail and then if you did it was like you blah 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 you know you did this you did this you did this even though there was this public like that he would take the heat in front of the the media or whatever and then behind closed doors it's all your fault right um though that'll ruin you uh it cost it had an impact on my health as a matter of fact i saw something recently i was looking back on an interview i did while i was at that place and although like i looked horrible like bags under my eyes i looked terrible it robs you of your health it robs you of your mental health um and you don't want to take risks which no team is rewarded without taking risk and calculated risk, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. You know, that fourth and one, and you're like, no, I'm going to bet on this. You know what I'm saying? Because of the situation, the personnel, trust and belief in your players, whatever it is. So, yeah, for me, like, it robbed me of joy. Like, I had a joyless job for those several years. And so did everybody else I know.
0: <laughs> I appreciate you sharing, because yeah. I mean, you hit on, and I think you did a great job of summarizing what cultures that are built on fear kind of feel like what they look like, what they sound like. Um, and, you know, you, you're going to get all the things that you just described and you're going to get people that don't want to go all in, you know, they're, they're, they're gonna, they're not going to get the best version of themselves. So, you know, what we've tried to do, and I think have done a pretty good job in this book is laying out a story that helps provide a blueprint on how you can counter that, how you can rise above the twin thieves, because they're never going away. You know, Um, no matter how successful you are, they're, they're there. So, you know, what we talk about is, you know, if you're on your journey, if you imagine a car, the fear of failure and the fear of judgment are going to be with you in your journey. The question is, is where do you put them in your car? Is there a lot of people that put them in the front seat and give them the wheel Mm. and the thieves guide their life and take over their life. There's other people that put them in the passenger seat. And then the successful people, the successful leaders in, in organizations, they throw them in the trunk. You know they're still in the car, but they're just not these don't have control right they find ways to rise above it so I think one of the greatest counter punches to fear is love and that is a foundation in our culture and those those that are listening that don't feel comfortable with that four letter word I, I would encourage you to think about replacing with another four letter word that's care uh, but a lot of people they 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 come into a culture the leader and They want to have the culture built on fear because they want those immediate results. And sometimes fear can provide immediate results, but it will not be long-lasting. Eventually, people overcome their fears. But love, care, that's a foundation and a a program that will be long-lasting. And you will get the best versions of the people that you're leading. You're going to get people that want to go all in, that can speak their, their mind freely, as you talked about before, that are willing to take risks. You know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook, I'm sorry if I mispronounced his name, but last time I heard he's got one big sign in Facebook and it says fail harder, right? He wants his his employees to to take risks because we all know that we need to take those risks. So when you can counter fear with love or care, I think then you're building a foundation within a culture that, that you're gonna get the best out of your people. And a lot of people think that fear or sorry, that, that love is soft. Um, and, uh, it is not. I think it is inspires tenacity. It, uh, it is brave. It's courageous. And, uh, I'll give you one quick example. Um, so Eric, obviously you have kids, right? And, um, if someone broke into your house in the middle of the night and tried to harm your precious children, what would happen to those, to that person that tried to break into your house?
1: you don't want to know
0: <laughs> It's not because you hate that person that brought that broke in your house. You don't even know that. Person, yeah. I don't know. Of your children and your wife that much mm-hmm. love, love is a powerful thing and care is a powerful thing. And you know, as a leader, if you can inspire love and care within your culture, people will run through a wall for you. And ultimately that's what you want in your culture. So, the Twin Thieves is really about the fear of failure and the fear of judgment. And the book is about how great cultures and great leaders rise above them. And it gives us a systematic approach to doing it because, you know, bad leaders, they got hopes. Average leaders, they use quotes. But, you know, great leaders, elite leaders, they got systems. And um, you need a system to build leaders. You need a system to grow your culture.
1: Where, first of all, I know this should be later in the podcast, but I wanted to just say it right now. Where can people buy your book? Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, so
0: published. Uh, my co-author is amazing. His name is Lucas Jaden. Um, he also wrote the book, "Win in the Dark with Joshua Metcalf. Um, and Lucas is unbelievable. He works with um, CEOs. He works with um, managers in, in Major League Baseball. He works with college athletics. I mean, he's all over the place. And... Uh, it was an honor to write that book with them. I learned a lot throughout that process.
1: Yeah, I love Joshua Medcalf's works. I, I, the book was great. It was such an easy read. And I mean, I have a PDF version. So uh, uh, people need to go buy this book, though. It's, it's fantastic. You can apply it anywhere. I know that's a little bit. I just figured, why not? I'm having you on here for a reason, because I think this is a message that people need to hear and they can apply it anywhere in their life. Even leading yourself, you know, we talk about the fear of judgment and the fear of failure. Those are things that hold a lot of people back. Um, Something that you deal with right now that I know a lot of leaders or parents or anybody out there is battling in the current culture is this thing called entitlement. How do you address entitlement in your organization? I think we've probably touched on this a little bit, but specifically, I want to. Address that thing right there.
0: And that, and that thing is big, isn't it? Like you said, everybody's kind of looking for this magic potion that gets rid of entitlement. Um, first, I, I, I'd say what you said, and I, I'd, I'd look at yourself first, lead yourself first, and look in the mirror. Don't always look out the window because one thing I found with entitlement is really easy to see in other people, but it's hard to see in yourself. And until you can look yourself hard in the mirror and say, okay, where am I entitled in my life? It's really hard to judge other people. And then within a culture, um, you have to, again, be really intentional about it. It is something that we have to battle in our program. When you have success and people aren't a part of the process early, they walk in, they just expect it to happen. So I heard a speaker say once, there are three things you should be scared of in life. Alligators, cancer, and sense of entitlement. Because once they get a hold of you, man, they never let go. So we need to be really intentional about not allowing entitlements to get a hold of us. So besides being uh, intentional about it, I would also say that when you can build a culture or a systematic way of creating servant leaders, it sure does help with the idea of entitlements. Because now you're constantly looking for ways to make the people around you better. And what can you give instead of what am I going to get? And that, to me, is just the mindset. Now, there is no magic potion. It doesn't mean that it just goes away. But those are some ways that <clears throat> that we really try to go toe to toe with that idea of entitlement. Is we be intentional about it. We talk about it. We point it out. We look for it in ourselves. And then we really look at ways in which we can serve the people around us.
1: I love your I love your word choice. Go toe to toe with it. Uh, I would <laughs> expect nothing less than a than a coach that. That's, that's one and done some things that you've done. I love that. Let's talk about performing under pressure because we all have to perform under pressure. And and whether it's getting up in front of an organization and delivering a talk, it's, it's amazing to me of all the fears out there in the world, snakes, heights, planes, the number one fear is public speaking. But, you know, maybe it's that situation. Maybe it's that, you know, goal to go. We got to win this thing. You guys have been through those. How do you train your team to perform under pressure in the most crucible moments?
0: Yeah, it's funny. Um, number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death. So people would rather be dead than than give a presentation, right? Uh, yeah, and, and really, it comes back to the twin thieves because it's not when you talk about public speaking. It's not the speaking part. People do that all the time. It's that word vulnerability used before. Because when you're up on stage, you're vulnerable. And now what's everybody thinking about me? What are they texting about me? What are they going to put on social media about me? What are they thinking, right? So, you know, that that idea of of being vulnerable in front of other people is really scary. And, you know, vulnerability is about performance. Because anytime you're going to perform, you're vulnerable. You're stepping into the arena. And you need to have the courage to step into the arena. Um, and, and I think that's a big part of it. So what we do is we do a lot of training around mental skills, um, mindset training. Uh, we call it mental skills because we believe it's a skill and any skill needs to be practiced and needs to be taught and needs to be practiced and need to be taught over and over again. So we, we give our kids, um, skills to try to make sure that we're performing, uh, under pressure. And then we try to put them in situations because I think one way to get better at performing under pressure is to get reps. So we do a lot of different things to put our kids in high-pressure situations, uh, whether it's in practice, whether it's in team meetings. We, we, we've done some competitive things in team meetings. Uh, we took uh, our kids in our, our girls' basketball program, who's really, really good, was, was doing an open gym one fall, and we had five kids do a free-throw contest with their five best girls, and everybody was watching, uh, and the loser had to, had to run. Uh, so we try to be creative on trying to put our kids in pressure situations. And then some of the tools that we give them is one is is obviously our self belief, and, and a lot of that comes down to our, our self talk and making sure that we're talking to ourselves and not listening to ourselves. Because as human beings, when we listen to ourselves, it's usually not very good. We're usually beating ourselves up quite a bit. So we want to make sure that we're really intentional about being positive in our self talk, which will hopefully hopefully lead to some belief and some conviction in ourselves. Um, and then. You know, stories are powerful, too. So in the book, they talk about the tightrope walker and where we're putting our focus on, right, in high-pressure situations. So I'll give you the quick version of the story, but there's a family of tightrope walkers. I think the great-grandson walked across Niagara Falls in the Grand Canyon a few summers ago. Uh, but his great-grandfather did it for a summer – for a living, I'm sorry. For over 25 years, he walked across the tightrope. And people would pay money to come see him do it. So he, he did it over and over and over again. And he had a big show coming up. And for the first time in his life, he started talking to his family and his friends about what if I fall? What if I fall? There's no net, You know, what if I fall? So the guy's been doing it for over 25 years. It just dawned on him. There's no net <laughs> because his whole life, what was he focused on? Just putting one foot in front of the other. And now he was focused on falling. So guess what happened? He fell. He fell. Unfortunately, to his death. So where our focus goes, our energy flows. So in high pressure moments, we need to make sure that we're focused on positives, the, the good things that are going to happen. Because if, if we go back to the presenting in front of other people, if, I, if the two minutes before I get up on stage, I'm like, uh, just don't stutter, don't mess up, don't, don't say this. Obviously, all of those things, that's where my energy is. And odds are pretty good that I'm going to do those things because that's where my energy is going. Preparation is a big part of of performing in high situations. Obviously, it goes back to our our winning formula, making sure that we're doing the work. Uh, but I think you know those are some things that we try to do in our program. That uh, you know, when opportunity comes, that we're prepared.
1: I love it. So on every podcast, I asked a couple questions, uh, and one of them is, "What does high performance mean to you?"
0: That's a really great question, Eric. It, you know, to me, I think at its root is achieving superior results, right? Now, that's the bird's eye answer to me. I think then you go down a little bit of a radical on what that really means, achieving superior results. So now are you the person that's going to compare or are you going to focus on yourself, right? So is achieving superior results meaning that you have to be <laughs> – a great baseball player. So, what does that mean? That you're a starter on your baseball team in high school? Well, are you a high? You know, is that high performance or does that mean you have to make the majors? You know, does that mean you have to become an all star? So, that's a route you could go. But to me, I think high performance is kind of like dipping a rag into a bucket of water and pulling it out and getting as much out of that as you possibly can and squeezing everything you can and getting as close to your full potential as you possibly can. And I think it goes back to achieving superior results, because that means that you are getting the best version of yourself or as close as possible to that. And that's part of getting better every single day. And and to me, I think that's high performance is trying to focus on that instead of focusing on the comparison game.
1: I love that answer. What habits or practices have you personally adopted to keep you performing at your best?
0: Well, I think, you know, leaders are readers. So I try to read and if I if I don't have time to read, I, I try to push uh, purchase audio books. So if I'm traveling, I don't listen to the radio, I, I listen to books or listen to great podcasts like yours. Um, so I, I try to use my time and make a habit of my time of trying to continue to learn and grow. Uh, so trying to have a um, white belt mindset, with a black belt skill set, right? So trying to continue to grow every single day and be a learner, I think is, is a habit. I really do. It's mindset, but it's also a habit that you can create in your day to day. You know, some of the stuff you talk about too, as far as taking care of yourself, I think high performers uh, do take care of themselves and exercise is a big part of my life. I, I wake up every morning. Uh, I, I built, I bought a Peloton about, Two weeks before the pandemic hit, last wow. March, two years ago, and I strung together uh, about three hundred and seventy-five days in a row of the peloton. So uh, the uh, James Clear "Don't Break the Chain" or Jerry Seinfeld "Don't Break the Chain," I I, I did that uh, over the course of over a year. So I think exercise is a habit that that uh, is a big part of my life as well.
1: That's awesome. Um, the 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 other thing that That I always like to ask is, is like, um, you know, what are you, you kind of alluded to, you like to listen and read, but what are you doing right now to grow? How are you, is there a certain subject matter that you're focused in on right now? Or is there a book you're reading? Or is there something that you're really excited about that you're gonna be doing to, to upskill yourself?
0: I think the process of writing that book was a big thing for me. Uh, going back to, to James Clear, I think his quote was, uh, if you think you can learn a lot from a book, try, re- try writing one. Um, so I, I, that to me was a big developmental process for me. Um, I'm not a natural writer. I never thought I would write uh, a, a book. I always hoped I would, but, um, you know, the, the pandemic obviously, uh, gave time for that and probably eliminated my excuse. Uh, <laughs> Oh, that writing process was really big for me. Uh, currently, I'm reading Never Split the Difference, uh, which is a fantastic book. Uh, also, I'm going through uh, an online class uh, through Michael Gervais. Uh, works with the Seattle Seahawks, um, Finding Mastery. And the, uh, the online courses com- uh, compete to create. Um, and actually, uh, one of the first questions uh, he asks in that process is, what is high performance? Uh, so, um, that's something that I'm going through as kind of a course right now, developing myself, uh, as a leader and doing a lot of reflection on that.
1: That's fantastic. So <clears throat> where can people find you like on social media or if they want to have you come speak?
0: Yeah. So probably the best way to, to reach me is, uh, through Gmail. It's, um, Steve Jones speaking at gmail.com. Uh, I would love that opportunity. Uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, That's at uh, Coach Jones, K-H-S. That's our high school, Kimberly High School. So um, at Coach Jones, K-H-S is another way to contact me.
1: Awesome. And we can get your book on Amazon, The Twin Thieves. If you're listening to this and you haven't stopped the podcast yet to go purchase this, you're a fool. Uh, It's a fantastic book. It's an easy read. Um, And it's one of those things that literally... When you sent it to me in PDF form, I laid down on my bed at night and I was like, all right. So I had the PDF on my phone and I was going back and forth between the notes section so much. I was like, I'm going to have to laptop this thing. Uh, I have tons of notes. It's a fantastic book. I highly recommend it. Um, Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. For me this is kind of like full circle i got to hear you in chicago and now i'm gonna get get the the pleasure of introducing you to other folks and i'm just very thankful for the impact that you've had in my life and the impact in others
0: uh yeah eric i I, i'm really grateful uh to be a friend of yours i consider you a friend i'm grateful for that first and foremost and and to be on here and have a conversation with you Uh, i got better uh during this time um and uh, excited, uh, for our relationship to continue to grow. And I appreciate you, uh, reading our book and, and giving some feedback. Uh, that was a big part of our process as well. Thank you very much.
1: You got it. If today's podcast has enriched your life in any way, please support the blueprint by doing one of the following. If you're listening on an audio platform like Apple or Spotify, please subscribe. If you're listening on Apple, please leave us a five-star review and some feedback because your feedback is tremendously valuable. Finally, if you're watching on YouTube, also, please subscribe and leave us some feedback. We'd love to know how we can improve the show and which topics you're enjoying. Thanks for joining with me, and I look forward to engaging with you across all of our platforms.
0: Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home on the web at hotpiemedia.com, the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.